you're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome back, dear listener, to the Lead to Soar podcast. My name's Michelle Redfern, and it is my great pleasure today to introduce Renata Bernardi. We're going to discuss a whole bunch of things about job hunting. And why are we doing that? Because Renata is a career management strategist, a job hunting expert and coach. And in our conversation today, we're going to talk about the things that people need to pay attention to when they start the job hunting process. And that job hunting process might be as simple as... I think it might be time for a change or I am going to make a change and I need to make it now or I'm already in that change process. So Renata offers a fresh take on career advice and she shares secrets, anecdotes, experience and research that she's collected over the years about the job hunting process. Now, there are some tips and tricks in here because she is very, very familiar with the process from sourcing, recruitment right through to placement. But our episode today is interesting because we're going to ask you to think about success in a different way. And there are a couple of knowledge bombs in this episode, which I just know will help shift your mindset about yourself, your leadership and your career. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Lead to Soar, dear listeners. It's Michelle with you again. And today I've got the amazing Renata with me, as you've already heard. And we're going to hear, well, we're going to tap into her zone of genius, her wisdom around job hunting. Now, not necessarily what you might think around, you know, the process and what have you, which of course Renata is an absolute expert at, and we're going to explore that. But we're going to talk about what happens when you're scared. And we had a a conversation offline about impossible syndrome. And we said we weren't going to use that expression, but there you go, I just have. But what happens when we're scared of being successful and what do we do about that? So that's what we're going to be talking about. But Renata, first thing I want to ask you, obviously after saying welcome again, because you're a great friend of A Career That Soars and, and the Lead to Soar podcast. Remember the days when we go to parties and dinner parties and networking events, when you did that and you wandered up to someone new or someone wandered up to you and they said, hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you and what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> That's funny because um, since I've gone 100% into career coaching, I actually haven't been out and about, you know, in social settings because of our very long lockdown in Melbourne. But I do introduce myself online all the time because that's how I reach out to potential clients and broader community. I want to support as many professionals as I can. The way that I explain myself is this. I'm a former executive and former CEO who has now decided to dedicate her time to helping other people advance in their careers. So I do a lot of work with professionals that are in transition. They may be going from one job to another, one career to another, one sector to another. And I really like to explain my coaching as a specialized in that transition period. It usually involves recruitment and selection process or 
promotion, but most likely the person is not employed or very keen to move out of their organization and go somewhere else. It could be a, a similar job somewhere else or a completely different job altogether. And I help people with that transition. And the reason why I am an expert in it, I believe, is because I've done that many, many, many times myself. So I moved countries, I changed careers, I changed jobs, and I did that in different ways as well. I, I sought out opportunities. So I went seeking for opportunities or somebody tapped on my shoulder and let me know that there was something happening. I was made redundant. I left jobs. And that variety, I think, is a lived experience that I can now translate into a framework, which I've done many years ago when I, I was the MBA Monash career manager. And since then, I've been coaching on the side throughout my career because that was years ago, uh, 2008, eight nine, And now since COVID started and I lost most of my consulting retainers, I decided, you know what? I love this. I've always wanted to do it. I'll do it full time. And I haven't looked back and I'm completely busy. So just as as you were talking, I had a mental sort of map opening up in my I I'm quite visual and I was thinking, so we often get coaching executive coaching when we're in a job, whether that's having been in it for a while or we want to address a certain thing. We often get coaching when we start a new job because we go, okay, I want to have a mentor or a coach to help me gain the confidence skills, whatever it may be. But that transition period that I'm ready for a move, I'm ready for a change, I'm ready to enter into the processes around being a job hunter is so incredibly important. And if I think about my own experiences, can be a little bit daunting. And I don't know if you experienced this as well, Renata. So you and I have talked often about the fact we have quite similar appetite for risk. So we like to jump and, and find out, find new things, but we know when we're ready to jump. But I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever had someone coach me in that transition period. What does that sort of look like? Or when does when do our listeners know that I'm at this point, this transition point, and I need to talk to Renata? What would they be typically feeling, experiencing, or wanting to do, I guess? Well, usually people reach out to me when I believe it's a bit too late. But then it's up to me as a, a coach to educate executives on the importance of bringing somebody like me on board even before they get themselves into a pickle. I say a bit too late because they may have been job hunting for quite some time unsuccessfully. Sometimes they are successful at specific bottlenecks, so they can convert from job application to an interview, but never from an interview to a job. Sometimes they can't convert from a job application to an interview. Sometimes they want to job hunt, but they feel like they don't know where to start. So they're procrastinating for years. The great thing about engaging a coach that's so specifically focused on this issue is it's potentially going to save you a lot of time because eventually you may learn how to conquer those bottlenecks and qualify for the next round and the next round, but it could take longer. So mm. my goal is to bring that new job or new opportunity sooner so that the client is making more income sooner and not unemployed for longer. And so you're investing in a coach to gain the knowledge the skills and the understanding of how recruitment and selection works so that you can fast forward your, your goals. And the other reason why people hire me is, like I said, is because they might be so confused about their current jobs and they don't really know what's out there for them. They may have been in a job for 
decades sometimes, and they have never really been in that risky situation that you and I have. (laughs) And for them, it's really daunting. So having somebody holding their hand and saying, okay, now you have to do this and now I have to do that. There's a certain etiquette on dealing with hiring managers and recruiters that people sometimes don't understand. And there's a certain best practices in networking and job applications and job interviews. And I find that it's it's really interesting that some people may have been very successful in their jobs, great executives, but never really gone through or uh, completely understood how to transition. So even though I could be a coach that does more than that, I'm very happy to be known and be an expert in this specific area of an executive's career and frankly, refer my clients back to you, Michelle, if they, you know, get a job and find that they're having problems leading and, you know, that that sort of long-term but very important work that they need to do in their leadership development, for example, I'm happy to refer them to a career that source. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I think that there are many of us, and I certainly include myself in that, who have perhaps been in, in a, an employer or within in, in jobs for, for, as you said, decades. And I've often been invited, Michelle, come and do this job. We need you to fix this, you know. So I certainly was not a practiced job hunter. Well, by the time I got to my mid forties, now I, I, I've got to say I'm also very fortunate that I didn't have to become one. But I certainly know. In, in fact, a story's coming to mind though of one of our members in a career that soars, who is a, a very senior woman in the tech sector. And and now I'm trying to think. It was some phenomenal amount of job applications that she's put in, and I'm. 127 keeps coming to my mind, but it was, you know, it's in the hundreds and not successful. And you just think, wow, it's interesting hearing you talk about the etiquette and the process and that, you know, I guess it's the unknown. So a couple of things there. One, you might not be a practice job hunter because you have been successful in your career. So your own success is has made you de-skilled or, or, or not up to date with contemporary skills and practices around job hunting. Or you might simply be running the gauntlet with only some of the knowledge in mind. And I guess that's a really nice way to, to segue into our leadership definition in a career that soars. So for, by our founder, Susan Colantuno, leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. So when I map that over what you do, Renata, is it's about saying find their own greatness and really play to that. But the achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes is, okay, what are the outcomes that we want? Job, (laughs) number one, the right job with the right organization, with the right salary and, you know, the right rem and ben and things like that. But the engaging the greatness in others is the piece, isn't it? So those others that you're going to be facing into through this process, it's really important to understand them. And so you really help your clients and our listeners weave. So using leadership all the way through and weave through that process to achieve success for themselves. So let's talk about fear of success though, because that's the purpose of our our, um, chat today. So you, you've talked about it in your own world and in your own podcast. And what I was fascinated to hear was you talking about the sword of Damocles, which is one of my most favorite, favorite stories, parables, you know, myths. And I'm really interested in let's talk about the sword of Damocles, why, why people fear might, well, why the fear of success might be getting in their way. And, and I guess those, you know, those, those three key things that you want people to pay attention to in recognizing what might be getting in the way of them being a successful job hunter or successful full stocks. I think some of this applies 
no matter what. So yes. tell us tell us about tell us about fear of success and and please let's hear about the sword of Damocles as well. <laughs> if it's okay with you, I want to take a step back and acknowledge fear of failure because it's there. You now people do have fear of failure and it's more talked about and I don't even feel like I need to explain. You know, of course people don't want to fail in front of other people. There's this social aspect of failing and people knowing you fail. There's all of that and it's one of the reasons why it's built in to our DNA. It's why we survived as a species. So, you know, it's something that we understand and we we know when it's happening. Fear of success. I don't think people understand when it's happening to us. For them to understand, I guess they have to recognize that A, it's a thing and B, how does it manifest itself, which I know you're going to talk about, but it's, yeah. you know, you really got me thinking about this and we think about these derailers and you think, okay, so what is this about not wanting to play big? I think it's, it's you don't even know that you don't want to play big. So I, I have identified for this podcast because I, I really want people to go and listen to my other podcast because it's I see our two podcasts, this one, this episode and the episode I did for my job hunting podcast as part one and part two of talking about success. And the way that I've continued to think about it is this. Sometimes clients come to me, I'll give three examples, right? And three ways that I think it showcases that that client has a fear of success is when we are talking about their future goals and they stretch out their goals to think, okay, I'm in operations. I may want to be a COO in 10 years time. And externally, I'm looking at this person and I'm thinking, why not now? You know, it's not every client, but many of my clients could be applying for jobs a bit more senior than the ones that they're aiming for. And they don't even realize it. They already have all the experience, the tools, the expertise needed to apply for jobs that are level above, but they're stretching out the length of their goals. And I believe that there's a fear of success involved in that, in doing that. So Renata, do you see a difference across genders? In, in, in those inability to go, right, I'm ready, I should be going for COO, not, you know, the head of whatever it might be or the general manager. You would be surprised, but no. Right, okay. But then I think that there is a self-selecting process that happens when uh, my male clients reach out to me. They tend to be type Bs mm. as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a vulnerability in accepting coaching 100 percent, absolutely for women and men i have a few women that contact me for prospect coaching they you know you know that no commitment 30 minute call that we we all do and men and women and they talk to me but they already feel like they know everything they need to know they're all they are talking at me hoping for me to say no you don't need me and i'm like Mate, you do need me quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they don't opt in. And I have a few examples because I keep following those that do not opt in, uh, Michelle, on LinkedIn. And I know that they still don't have jobs, whereas all my clients that have signed up at similar times already have jobs. And I just want to hug that person and reach out to them and say, woman, you know, man, come, <laughs> come and work with me and I'll get you the job you want. And I feel so, what can I do? You know, I, I can't force them to work with me. There, there's a great article on HBR, which I often refer my clients to, particularly the ones who do my Get Shit Done boot camps, which is why you must take time to reflect, even if you really hate it. And I've par- I've actually used the, I'll put the link into the show notes, but one of the, the pieces out of it is the, the author says the toughest, toughest executives to 
to coach around learning reflective practices are those who absolutely refuse to see the benefit and refuse to do it. And they're not building, they're not building those EQ muscles and those reflection muscles, which of course we all know we've got to reflect on, you know, what's got me here because it might not get me there. So it's, it, it just occurred to me that that's often that. And, you know, as someone who is a type A personality, I'm not a type B, I, I, I see that. I, and I see that in myself, you know, yeah, I'm right. I don't need that. Actually, you do need to step into that a little bit of humbleness um, and that yeah, that real vulnerability to say, you know, I need some help here because we're often not great at asking for help. And this, it's kind of a visible eek. If I say yes to Renata, that means I'm deficient in some way. Well, and it's really hard because I know you feel the same. All of our clients are fantastic at what they do. They're exceptional professionals. And mm. that doesn't mean that they know how to find a job. And, and I wouldn't expect them to because that's not part of their day-to-day work anyway. Exactly, exactly. It's really interesting. The second one is when someone is tapped on the shoulder or there's an opportunity like knocking at the door and they consider it briefly and they say no. Mm. And they, well, they talk themselves out of it. So there is this argumentative person inside your head playing up all of these things that will happen to you. And you know you're going to be successful. You're most likely to succeed. But you still think, oh, it's going to be so much more responsibility. And that I feel is very biased towards women. So when women reach out to me, sometimes they refer to by a recruiter or a headhunter who has called them and said, you know, I have this opportunity for you. And they're like, oh, 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 oh. And they say, oh, why don't you talk to Renata? They call me, oh, such and such said I should talk to you. You know, there's this CFO position and they want me to apply. And then they think about it and they came back to me and think, oh, I just had two kids and I'm, I don't feel like I can take any more responsibility. When I know in my guts and in my life that there's nothing worse than being a middle manager if you're a mother, <laughs> you know, if you're stuck mm-hmm. in that middle, first of all, you're at risk of redundancy and restructure. You have way more on your plate than your senior ex. And the work is more intense mentally for you. If somebody has identified you as a leader, it's because you probably already have skills. They, they probably have already seen you perform those leadership skills needed at the top. And you're saying no to that. Why? You will have more resources, more money in the bank. You will take better vacations. You, you know, like there's so many <laughs> benefits. You know, and we don't often talk about that stuff. And I'm just nodding away madly, which of course, listeners, you cannot see, but the perception about what it's going to take to lead at the next level versus the reality. And and you're so right. We have so many women mired in the middle or in middle management and, and they're not breaking through. Now, there are a whole bunch of factors. And of course, that's my work around fixing systems and bias and barriers and things like that. But also for women, this is a two-way street. Get out of your own damn way. Figure out who can help you silence or quieten at least for a period of time, that voice in your head that says, not good enough, not ready yet, this will be too hard, whatever, and and move into that, I've got to take a risk and seek the payoffs or the yeah, the payoffs that go with leading at that level. That practical stuff, Renata, that you've just pointed out, more resources, less vulnerable, more pay. <laughs> Let's face it, you got more pay. Suddenly you've got more discretionary spend as, as, a, as a human, but particularly as a, as a woman, Suddenly you've got the ability to outsource potentially, everyone makes their own financial decision, but you can outsource some stuff that currently is your responsibility. And I certainly would know that in my career, I've outsourced 
cleaning, for example, because I think, you know, I'm not actually going to spend 25% of my weekends cleaning. I'm going to get someone else to do that because I want to spend that time with my family. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So let's get out of our own damn way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So that happens often and it tends to happen more with women. And the third and final thing I want to say about fear of success that I have identified is priorities. Now, people may think that this is intertwined with fear of failure. I do not believe so. What I mean by that is this. You apply for a job you really want. You've been applying for a while. Then you get a job interview. Job interview, let's say, is a week from now. But you have a lot on your plate. So what you decide to do is this. I'm going to do everything I need to do this week. And then I'm going to (laughs) prepare for my job interview. (laughs) 90% of people do that. And it's the wrong thing to do. You know, priorities, priorities. If you really want that job, that comes first. It's not theory of failure. Fear of failure, you know, we can talk about it in a different episode. This is your, you having fear of your success. You're having, you're postponing the greatest opportunity of your life to get that job. And I have plenty of research, anecdotal data that shows that prepping for an interview is the biggest thing that you can do to get that job. I have several techniques to prep for interview. Many of them have nothing to do with answering behavioral questions in a star format, by the way, which you can Google and find that on your own. But people just postpone it, leave it to the last minute, do when they are tired, and then they don't get the job and then they fail. But I think it's that really like keeping themselves back, like you said before, get out of your way and not understanding what your priorities really are. That links very strongly to advice that I give often to women, but certainly to our members, advice that I give often to our members around strategic networking, your personal brand, uh, and the assets that you have that enhance your proven and perceived leadership skills. Now, we know that that a woman's career success, anyone's career success, but clearly I, I, I'm, I'm very, very interested in women being successful. Career success is dependent on your proven and your perceived leadership skills. Now, and this is an exercise I run in my women's leadership programs, which is tell me how you prove your leadership skills. I've got a scorecard and I've got a this and, you know, I've got a degree in that and yep, good, good. Now, what about perception? How are you perceived? as a leader. Who perceives you as a leader? Oh, my, the people I lead. Whatever I say, okay, well, let's let's get really clear. Who do you need to perceive you as a leader ready to lead at the next level, whatever that means? Your boss, your boss's boss, your boss's peers, your boss's boss's peers. Now, how, how many of those people do you know perceive you as a leader ready to lead, either achieve mastery in your current role, but certainly lead at the next level? And there's often a lot of silence and people go, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I go, okay, so figure out the people who are responsible for your pay, your promotion um, and your career advancement are, have a lot of perceptions about you. You've got to start managing them, which means you need to prioritize the way you are managing your brand. And I'm not talking about your social media profiles, although I will say LinkedIn is where I'm still shocked, Renata, shocked that people don't pay attention to their LinkedIn profiles. But this paying attention and prioritizing me, prioritizing how people perceive me as a leader, perceive me as someone who can take the business forward, whether it's the current business or another business. And this, it's so important, Mm. but it's not being paid attention to. It's really, really interesting. You know, the way that I explain this to clients, and I've just had a consultation now this morning where we talked about this, is this, we think we're very smart, but we're not that smart. We weren't designed for career progression. We were designed for service. 
survival in the savannah. See, mm-hmm. you have to bypass some of your instincts to work on your career and you're achieving your preferred future and moving forward in a way that's more intentional. This is a, a ultra modern and it's not really how we were genetically designed. So carving out that time needs to be a project for you. And you need to start changing your behaviors and educating your mind and your body to identify that this is important and do an hour a day, two hours a week, whatever you can allocate, not at the end of the week when you're exhausted, you know, like Mm -hmm. treat this as I treat exercise, because for me, exercise is my, (laughs) my cross to bear. And if I don't do it early in the morning, I won't do it. So think about career planning and personal branding exercises as something like that. And it's a lot like, you know, the reasons why we don't see a pandemic coming. It's the reason why we don't see climate change coming. It's because it's intangible. It's not right in front of us. It's not that job that you have to do tomorrow. It's not urgent, but it's imminent and it's important and you will regret it. Future Renata will regret that present Renata has done nothing about it right? So you have to really work yourself up to do it and start building that behavior and that routine. And it can be very challenging. Sometimes people know what to do, but they just don't do it anyway. Mm. And you have to build that up. If people are interested and they're currently job hunting, I actually have a free resource on my website. You can go to my website and download it. That just It's a designed routine for job hunters. So if you're job hunting full time, just do this routine every day. Mm-hmm. If you're job hunting part-time, you do this other one, or there's a light version if you have a job and you don't have a lot of time. And if you follow that routine by the book, you will progress much faster than trying to do it randomly and at whatever time suits you. So yeah, it's building that as part of your routine and understanding it's a project until it feels well, cool, like brushing your teeth, it will take a while. You're right. It is new behavior. So listeners, there is actionable insight number one or your call to action number one, which is you must, if you are job hunting and, or planning to job hunt, you have to prioritize the activities that go with that, not try and fit them in around everything else. If your priority is to earn more, be more fulfilled, find the job of your dreams, um, you have to prioritize it. You know, hope is not a strategy, as I like to say. So plan it. And which means planning your week out and saying, well, at, when am I at my most energized? When am I in flow typically? And block out time for, to do your job hunting tasks and to learn these new behaviors. So I think it's it's a really just such an important insight, actionable insight, Renata, because it isn't going to happen just magically. You know, no one's going to sprinkle pixie dust around. The other insight is recognize which skills you have and which skills you do not have and the ones you need to build to be successful. Now this goes for your career and it goes for job hunting. If you are a skilled, practiced job hunter, you probably have stopped listening already. But if you're not a skilled, practiced job hunter who knows the ins and outs, step into your vulnerable, courageous vulnerability and say, 
I'm actually going to invest some time, some resources, some effort into becoming skilled so that I can achieve and sustain the outcome that I see as important. And, you know, I had an interview with Narita Summers from AGL last week and and I was talking about her career. And one of her pieces of advice is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, is you've got to make time for yourself. You've got to make time for your career, time for your development, because it isn't actually going to be handed to you on a plate and it isn't going to come to you. By osmosis, you actually have to, to, to take the time and prioritize it. So thank you, Renata. I want to add to that. None of these things are crystallized at any point in time. They're always evolving. So if you've been job hunting and then you got a job and you've been in a job for three years and now you're job hunting again, oh my God, so much has changed. Like you wouldn't believe. Like CEO opportunities, the first interview is straight to camera. You have three minutes, three questions, go. Can you do that? Like you haven't done that before. So it's very confronting. And the, the use of technology now for senior executive level recruitment and selection is all over. It's everywhere. Chat box interviews, bot interviews on your phone, phone rings. It's a robot. You have, you know, three minutes to answer this question. Wow. Yeah, I'm talking, this is really happening right now. Frankly, I'm only a few meters ahead of you, <laughs> you know, as a <laughs> I'm constantly having to catch up. And that's my job is to be in the know about all of this. So it's not, it's not like whatever you're doing, either, you know, even leadership coaching, you know, post-pandemic is different from pre-pandemic. The VUCA environment is more prominent. There's remote, you know, leading from a distance, remote working, all of that entails different skills that you need to acquire. So you always need to be top of your game, really. So yeah, something to think about. <laughs> and one more reason to find that time to dedicate to your professional development. It is, it's very good advice. And you're right, because it's interesting people sometimes, because I, I don't do any one-on-one coaching anymore. I don't have capacity, but from time to time, I say, oh, can you help me with a so-and-so uh, job application, what have you? And I just say, I'm just, it's just not my thing. I, I'm not a practice. I'm no, well, I'm not in the job market. I'm a director. I'm a, a business owner, you know, but so I'm, I'm actually not representative at all or have relevant current lived experience. So, and yeah, so which is, you know, why, why I talk to you. But it's rare that people will send me a resume these days that is ATS compliant. Now explain what ATS compliant Well, when you apply for jobs online, it's not read by humans. It's read by robots, right? And that requires you to do a a type of resume formatting that is easily read by whatever software is behind that interweb wall that you can't see. And you don't know what software it is. You don't know if it's a sophisticated one that's better designed or a crappy one. You know, be be very conservative and have a, a resume format that is easily read by whatever bot. But when that first conversion is done, the second pair of eyes will be will be humanized, then it needs to be written in a way that is attractive to the human eye. So there is a technique to it. And I do not expect if you are an accountant, if you're a marketing professional, if you're a CX professional, if you're I don't expect any of you to know these things because that will be dumb knowledge for your brain to acquire that you would only use every couple of years. You're right. It, it is situational, but gee, I didn't even know 
that. I mean, I, I knew that there were robots reading it, but I didn't know about, you know, ATS compliant and what have you. There's lots of knowledge that I share with you because if I don't share with you, it will just expire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We all have that in our careers. So there you go. Okay. Even if people have never heard about the story, it says so much about how we understand success and how, what we feel about being a successful person. So Democles was a, a man that w- was in Dionysius' circle, Dionysus being a king, and he was very jealous of Dionysius and you know, wanted to, you know, be more powerful like, like King Dionysius. And one day Dionysius allowed Democles to sit on his throne to make Democles understand what it would feel like to be powerful, to be a king. So Democles sat on the king's throne, you know, all those luxuries, all that power. But above the throne, there was a sword that was hanged only by a horse's hair. I think that was the thing. So there was that imminent danger of death. <laughs> and look, even if you have never heard that uh, that story, I feel like people think about success like that, that it's you're jealous about it and you want to achieve it. But then once you have it, you're so worried you're going to lose it. You're worried that people put you there accidentally by mistake, that you shouldn't be there. You and, you know, I remember being a little child and watching cartoons with the, where there would be this kind of, always this sort of idea where you would rub the genie, the genie would show up, you ask for something, the genie misunderstand what you asked for, and you get something completely different. <laughs> And I feel like when you are successful, that happens to you, you know, you want to be in that successful position, that powerful position, but it's almost like you rubbed the genie the wrong way and you got something completely unexpected. That wasn't what you imagine it would be. And from that point onwards, you were uncertain about success and if you ever want to have it again. And then there is this other situation where you always think somebody's going to backstab you. And honestly, all of those things are somewhat true, right? Even in the way that you think about organizations as a pyramid structure, there's the only way is down after you reach the apex, but that's all fine. You know, just understand that before you get there. And if you're still comfortable with all of that, uncertainty with the fact that it will be different. The fairy tale doesn't end when you get that fancy job. It's like, you know, uh, romantic movies, right? The fairy tale doesn't end when you kiss. After that kiss, (laughs) there's a whole life ahead of you that you need to unravel and you need to work that out. And that's, that's a powerful position or any position. And it may be that once you reach the top, not everyone, not, not everyone is going to like you. And I think that that's more that becomes clearer and clearer as you go up the corporate ladder. That was, I guess, why I love the link between the parable and, and job hunting and, and your advice is that a mindset of abundance versus scarcity, but also a mindset of what I can achieve versus being scared about what might happen. And I and I suppose this is perhaps it's the it's, it's the entrepreneurial mindset. Well, let's give it a shot because what's the worst that could happen? It could not work, and then we just don't do it anymore. Which I fully acknowledge that if you're the CEO, or, you know, not even the CEO, if you're in a really important executive role, that fear of other people, you know, bringing you down or not being successful or things like that. You know, I think it's important to understand what's going to go on for you once you attain that position. And 
I suppose it's the grant me the serenity to forget about what I can't control and, you know, focus on what you can control, but acknowledge that some of this stuff's going to happen. And I suppose the point I want to make there, Renata, which is what I picked up on is, no, not everyone's going to like you, but your job is not to be liked. Your job is to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes for your organisation and also for yourself. And I suppose that's the, how do we get people beyond beyond that mindset that might be limiting them from doing that? Yes. And you know what, Michelle, you may sit at that throne and then you won't like it and it's okay too. But that mm. doesn't mean you can self-select yourself out of that opportunity. Give it a go. Mm. Oh, how do I know if I'm ready? Apply. How do I know if I'm going to do it well? Do it. <laughs> you know, just do it. And if you have an itch that, you know, or this sort of ambition, you have to give it a go. You you really own it to yourself. You only live once. Give it a go. And nothing, you're not going to die. It's not like there's a sword on top of you. You're not gonna- I was going to say, there is no sword hanging over. And this is the whole point of the parable, folks listening. There is no sword suspended by a horsehair hanging over your head. And where I wanted to take this now, Renata, is something that you and I have talked about before and I hear often, in fact, I've heard it this just in the last 24 hours. I've been tapped on the shoulder for, someone suggested I go for this job. I've been asked to, I wonder if I should, I wonder if I should. And I go, for God's sake, put your application in, go for the interview because until you've got a contract in front of you that has every term, condition, rem, bend that is, is that you want until you have a signature ready waiting for you, you know, oh, sorry, a contract waiting for your signature, you have no decision to make, but everything to gain. So what's your advice to, and, and, and I will make this gender, particularly to women. Yeah, I have two pieces of advice here that I think are related to that fear of success and people not knowing what to do when they are being springboarded into something new and potentially successful and interesting. First of all, Don't suffer and live in your head. Just go for it. We have this tendency to argue with ourselves and pretend that we're rational. There's this sort of rational arguments that we come up with to pull us out of opportunities, you know, or the reasons why we can't uh, uh, go for it now. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, my resume isn't ready. Maybe if it had happened at a different time or there is no better time. There is just a time when things are handed to you and you should just give it a go. And this thing that people feel is completely normal. The fear is very normal. It's the fight and flight situation. And even though we are not going to die, that's how our body perceives a threat or a stress. So we need to just remind ourselves that, again, our body wasn't really designed for urban corporate life. (laughs) And just understand that that fear is natural and we need to overcome it with our minds and being mindful of that instinct that we have. So that's number one. Don't live in your own head for too long. Think out loud with a trusted confidant. Yep. So many people play up the whole thing in their heads before applying. And then for that reason, and that's the tip number two here, because we have a tendency to have a negative bias when we're thinking, we think about all of the bad things that can happen, all of the difficulties that we will encounter. And it's again, natural to have a negative bias. And then you decide that you don't want the job even before applying. When in fact, my advice to all job hunters is exactly what you said, give it echo oh, I don't know this company. I don't, you know, maybe I don't fit the criteria exactly. Send your job application and you won't know until you have a sample 
of things that have gone well and have gone bad for you, you won't know if your resume is working or not, if you have if you're performing well at interviews or not, you need to have a sample. That, that's actually a really good point. Even if you're not 100% convinced that this is the role for you, use it as a testing ground for your resume, for your skills, for your, you know, you, you know, thinking out loud with a trusted confidant, you know, with Renata. But yeah, use it as a practice run for that big job. But also the, the advice I'd add to that, which is what I give, is please put yourself in front of a new network of people because you never know. Once people know you, they can't unknow you. Present yourself as, as a leader who is great, who achieves outcomes, who is great at engaging the, the, the greatness in others and be memorable because even if you're not successful this time around for this job, that's okay because someday... One of those people's going, oh, I remember meeting that Renata. Gee, she was great. I know she wasn't right for that role. Let's have a talk to her. Or, you know, you and I both know how important strategic networking is. This is a part of strategic networking, networking with the right others. So I think I think it's an investment. I look at it like as an investment in future me. The way that I explain this, you're absolutely right, is, is this. You're always playing a short game and a long game when you're job hunting. When you're both a recruiter and the job hunter. The short game is, I need to fill out this position now. The short game for the job hunter is, I need to find a job now. The long game is, I need to have a black book of great context for future clients if the recruiter is, you know, a smart recruiter. And the job hunter is, I need to get to know. I mean, this is the silver lining of looking for a job. You're going to do research on different companies as you apply for them. You're going to get to know different people. You're going to get out of your box, expand your network. And Something may not convert now, but it will convert in a year, two years' time. Who knows? I would also add to that, and I've done, Mel and I did a very short podcast on this a while back, and I used one of my own experiences, which I did say yes to a tap on the shoulder when I was in, still in corporate Australia, but I used it as a benchmarking exercise because I thought, I'll see what, I'll see what salary is being offered here because it's going to be very useful for me to know because I've got a salary negotiation coming up in my own role, and it was brilliant because then I thought, okay, so this is what I'm worth on the open market because I've been told what I'm worth. I was then then able to bring those facts and that data back to my present situation and get what I wanted without having to make a move. So, you know, there are so many benefits for inserting yourself into a process. So many benefits. But yeah, that I think that that call out, let's get out of our own heads and have a conversation and <laughs> external to oneself conversation with a trusted advisor, but also think about the benefits of the process, not just what could go wrong. And I, I look, I, no one likes rejection. You know, we're talking about biology and humans from way back. Of course, rejection from the tribe meant death in, in when dinosaurs still ran around the world, although some dinosaurs still run around the world. But anyway, it's a whole other story. So we don't want to feel rejected, even if we don't really want the job. But the benefits outweigh that risk in so many different ways. So that's a mindset shift, a real mindset shift. Great call to action. Hey, Renata, we, we've got so many actionable insights, which is what you and I both and Susan, Mel, Lamal and I are so focused on. We, we want to give women really good advice that they can take action on. So right now, I'm thinking about the women in a career that soars and, and women across the world who are saying, we know that there's stuff going on for women in workplaces across the world at the moment. And they're thinking, mm, now might be the time for me to think about a move. I guess what's the very first thing that every single one of those people, even if they're currently in the process, that transition process, what's the first thing that they should be doing? If they're currently employed, remain employed. 
as much as possible remain employed because it's really about allowing you the investment and the finances to get the support you need to make that move successful for you and not to put yourself into a different type of stress. Your work may be stressful, but being unemployed for an extended period of time is also stressful. Mm -hmm. And even though we have a buoyant market at the moment for job hunters, that doesn't mean that for for your sector, where you are in the world, things will go easy and you're going to get a job very quickly. Usually people have a very optimistic view of how long it will take for them to get a job. It's usually longer than they think. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is find a support system that works for you and stick to it. Because people will come to me and work with me. And then if they decide that they want to get advice from somebody else, it might be completely different and it will just mess up with your mind. (laughs) (laughs) You have to find the best possible support system for you and get the advice that you need and understand that there is a lot happening in recruitment and selection that is brand new, even to people that are experts in the field, like the technology involved now and how LinkedIn has become the go-to tool for recruiters and headhunters and understanding how to use those new mechanisms efficiently and effectively to support your job search is really important. Great advice. Number one, stay employed. Don't put that stress on you and and keep listening to Lead to Soar because we've actually got an episode coming up, which is help. I've got a rubbish boss. What do I do? And and some of that is about how do I stay employed and and preserve. So that's the first one. And then the second one is get that board, that personal board of advisors who are experts. And and I think the the nugget in there, and I hope you heard it listeners, but I'm going to repeat it, is get the advice you need to hear. Sometimes that's different to what we want to hear. You get the advice you need to hear, which is why people like Renata are so good because A, you're the expert, but B, you've got that independence to say, hey, Michelle, it's time to have a come to Jesus talk. (laughs) We need to do some things differently here. So There are people in your life that you love and that love you back, but they give the worst advice. You probably know some of those in your life, Michelle. <laughs> they don't mean to go to give it, but they're just not experts and they don't know what they're talking about. And I also think there's a very real thing around their fear of success, which is projected onto you, which is, I think that's a whole other episode. But so Renata, thank you for your wisdom as always. Fear of success, why it happens and how to get over it. So you can find Renata, I'm going to put all of this stuff in the show notes, but we, you can find Renata on the Job Hunting Podcast. Renata, where else can our listeners track you down and find you? Oh, everywhere. I am on LinkedIn, (laughs) Instagram, Facebook, everything. But the Job Hunting Podcast is a good resource if you're job hunting. And you can go to my website and see, you know, the the tool, the free tool that I explained before, which is my most successful download, thousands and thousands of people using it, and, and see what I offer there too. Learn a little bit more about me. And for those of you who are premium members of A Career That Soars, of course, you can watch on demand the workshop that Renata comes kindly hosted for us and around basically all of the digital tools, how to enable yourself in this digital and online world. So we'll be doing more with Renata uh, coming up in 2022. So Renata, as always, thank you. I learn every single time we are together from you and and add more tools to my toolkit. So I really appreciate your time and uh, for the job hunters listening, well, you know where to go. Thank you, Michelle.
Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.